Hello and welcome to the swim brief. Steve Meller, um, he has, well, he has a business called Career Competitor. He has a podcast called Career Competitor. He has an everything called Career Competitor. <laughs> the um, life. The he has a life. He's, a, he's officially changed his name from Steve to Career Competitor. No. Um, <laughs> I, I always I always freestyle these intros and I I actually here's what I want to do today is I know you're a good storyteller so I am going to ambush you with a story to mm. lead off this podcast because it's a story you know there's you know how like you just you either you hear about somebody or you brush past them in life and then like things just sort of come back around so when you and I were discussing appearing on this podcast I referenced something we have in common, which we were both coached at some point by Chris Woodard. Okay. And when I became a college swim coach, Chris Woodard told me a story about you. Oh, um, I'm now, now I'm worried. Now I'm worried. <laughs> you shouldn't be because it's such a flattering okay. story. Okay, so okay. because I, because, because I already like you, I'm going to tell this flattering story off the top and then I'm just going to see how you react to hearing a flattering story about yourself. But seriously, I was talking to him and I was so excited, you know, like when you just get started um, coaching in college swimming, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that um, think that college swimming is really excited or want to be college swimming coach or have been a college swimming coach, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I was so excited and um, I, I, Woody coached me for one year when I was 14 years old um, and I don't know what how I reached out to him or got in contact with him, but he was sort of confirming my excitement. And he said, Chris, you know, what's great about doing this is you will, in the course of doing this, you will run into an athlete that you're going to tell them something that they should do to get better. And they're just going to do it the first time. And he was talking about you. Wow. <laughs> um, so that, and that story has stuck with me ever since then, because I remember like I followed your results when you were swimming at NC state. And then I, I even looked up this morning, I've had some in my mind that we crossed over, but it says you graduated in 2009. I didn't start coaching until summer 2009. Did you, okay. did you, so, so we didn't even cross over with each other. Maybe in not, the maybe not. No, no. And so, um, so, so tell us why you were so great as an athlete. <laughs> that is a loaded question. I love it. Um, I love to make people a little uncomfortable. So yeah, yeah I don't do yeah. well. I don't do well with compliments at all. It's a British thing, man. Honestly, we Brits, we, we are horrible at being like known for being good at something. It's, it's yeah. kind of remarkable. Uh, but doing what I do now as an executive coach, I very much had to lean into this ability to uh, receive compliments and then also encourage others to do the same. And, uh, so for me, you know, as an athlete, and it's funny because I talk about this a lot now, believe it or not, out, now that I'm outside of swimming and outside of sports, and I always describe myself, I was a guy who, in my opinion, had a third of the talent, so made up for it with three times the work ethic. That was my entire philosophy towards the sport of swimming. And it's probably what led me to a couple of shoulder surgeries along the way. It's probably what led to me, you know, being 
significantly more tired uh, than most people around me. Um, but at the same time, it was it was this chip on my shoulder that I really used to the best of my ability uh, throughout my throughout my career because it brought me to a place like NC State. I mean, if, if I don't have that philosophy back when I'm 16, 17, 18 years old, I don't I don't go to NC State. I don't get over to the US, and who knows where I'd be today? You know, so for me to have been able to notice that about myself early enough and, and be surrounded by the type of support, whether it be through coaches at the time or other athletes I was training with, um, they were able to sort of say like, Steve, your secret weapon is the ability to endure. Like just, just yeah. to, just to when everybody else starts to show signs of falling to the side or, or stopping, you're just like, bring it on. And I don't care if you're on these one-off swims faster than me or on this last swim of the set faster than me you will always be there from the beginning all the way to the very end. And, uh, you know, I, I really took pride in that. And, um, you know, it means a lot. It means a lot to hear a story like that from Woody because he, uh, and he knows this, you know, he, he was someone who, who taught me a lot about what it means to just coach as authentically as possible to be your truest self and not put on a persona for anybody that you were coaching with. And I think I saw that in him early, which is, it's one thing to have the ability to, apply what a coach tells you but a coach has to have the ability for an athlete to want to listen in the first place yeah and i, I think for me that's what woody did so well and it's why i um cared enough to be paying attention let's put it that way he was a catalyst for me becoming a coach and i've told this story in in other contexts and you know it, it's funny too like i know i again i know you're a storyteller so one of the interesting things about telling stories is you know when you tell them in a different context and even as you get older, like, it's not that you necessarily are embellishing on stories, but you understand things that you're telling about your own past a little bit differently. So I think there's a version of this story I've told a number of times that was like, hey, I was just a kid that was swimming and I didn't really know why I was doing it. I, I didn't particularly even enjoy doing it, mm -hmm. right? And um, I changed teams. I had Woody as a coach for one year and I had so much freaking fun <laughs> that year that I was like, wow, a coach can make that big of a difference in the experience that you have doing it. Wouldn't it be fun mm -hmm. to do that? Now, the, the, the part of the story that's changed for me, and I think it has to do with where you and both of you and I have ended up um, in life is the part where Woody was there for one year, because it wasn't until I became an adult and I said like, Hey, what happened? Cause my heart was broken <laughs> when you left and he goes, Chris, I was making $25,000 a year. I had a roommate, you know, in a like rundown apartment, a town over, there was no, there was no life for me there. Like, so as much as I enjoyed what I was doing, it wasn't like, it wasn't sustainable on any level. And I think a lot of coaches at some point, you know, can, can reach, and, and maybe I've heard your story in some other contexts, like you reach a point where maybe the um, intrinsic value of just getting to coach and how fun it is to show up and work with people, it's not necessarily quite enough. You, you like to do something more in life. I heard you talk about this on the, um, on the Brett Hawk podcast, but I actually want to go back and ask you something because I, 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 I heard, and I, there's another story in here that I, I think would be really interesting for everybody. Um, and that is 
you know, you said you never would have gotten to NC State had you not been built the way you were or sort of people that helped you build <laughs> to be the right, way right, right, right. you so, were. But tell me a story like, because I, 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 I just have a perception like there's plenty of kids who are pretty good at swimming, who are swimming in England. Not Most of them don't come to America. Most of them don't come to swim in the ACC. T tell me a story about like, where was the turning point where you went like, I could be really good at this and I'm going to make a voyage of a thousand miles to keep doing this, you know, like thousands and thousands. I'm going to cross the ocean yeah. to, to really find out how good I could be. Yeah. It, what you said there, to keep doing this. Uh, I mean, to keep doing this, was a big part of that decision um, because the, I mean, still, if, unless you're in that absolute top 12 to maybe 18 in the world, you're not going to get a penny from something like British swimming. And, and yep. so then the decision becomes, okay, do I go to a university in the UK and still swim, but be given little to no support to be able to balance the two of going to school and also pursuing my sport. So once it was even on the table as a possibility to get to the US, I started to just educate myself more on what that lifestyle looked like. What was the difference? What were the pros and cons? And the more and more I started adding pros, I'm like, I don't see any cons. <laughs> you know, I just see yeah. a whole bunch of reasons to do this. And, you know, my, my story is one of when the opportunity looks right, you, you jump at it and you, you don't overthink it. You don't overanalyze it. And, you know, I'm 37 years old and that's that entire philosophy and approach to my life has gotten me pretty far it's gotten me to a pretty good point has there been some moments where i've had to look back and be like "Ooh, that might have been a little hasty or you may have jumped too soon or whatever sure like but that's that's life but at the same time i get to i get to wake up in this house with this wife with this family doing what i do today because even back when i was 12 13 14 years old i was looking at life this that, that that particular way i was looking at hey where's the opportunity and where can i insert myself and so yeah. nc state was an opportunity nc state was an opportunity and i didn't do a whole lot of research beyond that i i trusted my instinct and what was funny is that even though i joke now as do a lot of the guys i swam with back then we were sort of swimming in the dark ages of nc state swimming before it became i, I was going to ask today. you a question about that but i yeah, felt it, it was it, too it, rude it let's call it what it is let's call it what it is i mean that's <laughs> what it was and, and, and so for me there were some beacons of light and i'm proud to say that i was one of those beacons at times um during yeah. during those dark dark ages but believe it or not nc state was exactly what i needed at that point in my career you know i don't want to go too much into that but at the same time it just was it was it i came from a very highly professional environment with the british setup that i was with and i was working part-time while i was pursuing something full-time so no education and then i came to nc state and i was surrounded by guys that just allowed me to realize like listen if you take this all too seriously you're gonna just crush yourself at some point yeah. so it's taking that mindset of you know third of the talent three times the work ethic while still being a human being and, and and the guys that I swam with brothers to this day, four of which were in my wedding, you know, guys that had that ability that when I just started to take myself a little too seriously, they would just pull me right back down and just say, listen, man, remember who you are. Remember what makes you, you and, and don't take this stuff too seriously because it's going to beat you up at the end of the day. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess now that you've given me the opportunity, I do want to ask a question about this because I'm just going to give you my perception of sure. some of this transition with NC State. And then I want to hear from somebody who has a little bit more knowledge and insight as to at least part of it than me. But I actually, I, I want to say when I was coaching at Georgia Tech, I was also, we were basically at the same level men's team wise with NC State. We were sort of duking it out with each other every year. But my perception was that there was still, there was still a good team atmosphere there that carries through to this day, like, you know, the, the, the diamonds on the chest and there was people like, and I, I think there's a good lesson for everybody out there. When NC state swimmers were getting seventh at the ACC meet, they, from my perception, they looked like they were really proud to be swimming at NC state. Right. Right. And that that's, something that's carried through that they have in common with the teams now that, you know, contend for a championship Mm -hmm. every year. And I guess my perception is um, when there was a coaching change there and and Braden Holloway came in, probably the most successful thing he did was he took so many of the people that were already there with him. Like he didn't come in in there and go like, this place sucks. Let's blow it up and start over again. Like people that were on the team, probably people that you swam with swam really well in the first couple of years of that program. I don't know. Like, you do tell me what your perception. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, it's such a fun time to look back on, to be honest with you. Cause I had, I had the luxury of graduating in 09 as a student athlete and then becoming a graduate assistant for two years. And, I was as close to it as a coach um, during those two years. I was given an, an, a truly enormous amount of autonomy for a graduate assistant. Um, you know, a lot of that had to do with just my know-how and my willingness to work and, and, and my familiarity with the athletes and their respect for me. But at the same time, there were things happening. There, were, there, there was an impact that I was able to make, a, a small one at that, um, that showed that the potential of the program was there and and just to sort of rewind a little bit that's what drove me for the four years that i swam you know i i looked at the legacy of the program i looked around the walls every single day of names of all americans of all these banners in the rafters where they went like nine ten acc championships straight back through the 70s and the 80s and you know these little things were this constant reminder each and every day and something you said there that i think is really important is that you acknowledge that even when we were coming seventh in the ACC, we weren't proud of the finish, but we were proud to represent NC State. And I think yeah. that's real. It's it's a really important thing to to emphasize because it wasn't necessarily through lack of trying. Um, sometimes it was just lack of direction, lack of culture that was required to win. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of good stuff there. There was a lot of good humans there, and there was a lot of people that really understood. Hey you know, this was our legacy and this is the history of this program. And we need to at least respect that, that we get to be a part of that. And what we do with it, you know, that that's another conversation. Um, but the transition itself with Braden, I actually believe it or not in 2011, in the spring of 2011, so it was about late April, May time, right before I graduated my master's, I was offered and accepted um, a position with LSU. However, one thing I said to the head coach at the time, Dave Guy, I was like, listen, I have already committed two months to a bunch of athletes here this summer. And this was the, the coaching staff had been let go at this time. 
I'm yeah. like, if, if I go to LSU right now, these kids have no one. And because yeah. NC State weren't moving fast with the hire, for, for those that don't know, Raiden that. wasn't hired. He wasn't hired until after July 1st, which from a recruiting standpoint is kind of a nightmare. But the the fact of the matter was, this was a situation. I went, I went to there. I said, listen, if you don't need me there by July 1st, if you guys have got a handle on this between you and the other assistants, if you don't mind, I would like for my contract not to start until maybe late July, even early August, and, and be able to be here for these athletes. And man, did we have some fun. I mean, we had some fun. We worked. I mean, it was the weirdest scenario. You think about it. You've got a guy who's not going to be coaching there next year. You've got head, new potential coaches coming in and off campus, being interviewed and all this kind of thing. Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't care less about that because for me, that was a distraction. The, the, the focus was, hey, I've got a bunch of kids that want to work hard. And something that Braden shared with me um, back in that time around the fall of 2011 after he had a few months, he's like, man, I don't know what I would have walked into had you not chosen to sort of stay and do this this summer. And I was super proud of that because it, I cared. I cared. I, I didn't want yeah. NC State swimming and diving just to be like, to hell with it. Throw it to the wolves and, you know, what, whoever's here when, you, when the new head coach arrives is whoever's here. Um, and, you know, so to this day, I'm, I'm actually very proud of, the work that I did even in just those two or three months. And it was funny because like, I'm kind of the head coach of NC State for a couple of months. This is kind of cool. Um, no, no recruiting <laughs> obligations. No, no. Just the fun part. Yeah. No compliance whatsoever. It's just pure sim coaching. This is, this is fun. Um, but a, a lot of those athletes, even to this day, you know, it's been over a decade since then. Um, there's still athletes from that time where randomly we'll be in conversation through a Facebook post or Instagram and, someone will reference something from that summer. And it, it means a lot to me. It means a lot that we were able to do that and help with the transition, albeit a fraction of the transition. It was still, it was still an influence nonetheless. See, I knew I was going to get some cool stories out of you. That's a cool story. I never heard that, <laughs> but I do remember that because I was sitting, you know, down in Atlanta being like, are they going to hire somebody? Like what's going on? Right. Um, so, you know, like you don't think about what else is going on at the same time as some other big events. So now you've filled in, you filled in a, a gap. So you, from the sounds of it, you were new pretty early on, like, I'm going to go coach. When I'm done competing, I'm going to go into coaching. That's where I'll be. And you I were... probably knew that halfway through graduate school. I wouldn't say I was oh, really? going. Yeah, I, I wouldn't oh, so, say so I was So you just started doing it, and then we're like, okay, I guess. Yeah, I'm... I mean, the... the the, the reason I didn't even really know what my responsibility was going to be as a graduate assistant. Um, and then it was around, I, I got shoulders. I literally finished my last two in a backstroke at ACC's in 2009, walked out holding my arm, like, please oh. take me to the, take, take me to the doctor now. sew this thing up and be done with this thing. And, and then about a month later after I had surgery, I came on deck and just came to say hi and hi turned into like 30 to 45 minutes of me grabbing a stopwatch, given some insight here and there and suddenly i was just like this is new this is different yeah. um this could be something and and slowly but surely i started to coach a little bit more through that summer and i was given that opportunity to coach in uh, in grad school and slowly fell in love with it for sure and you know i want to get to i, I guess i want to yada yada over a lot of stuff in the middle because we've already been talking for 20 minutes and i do want to get to like you've written a book i want to get to the fact that you're doing something that's not you know entirely swimming focused or or outside um i guess from from a swimming centric perspective definitely outside of the sport hmm. um 
So you embark on this college coaching career, right? Um, and then you quite, I don't know. I don't know how to, I don't know what adjective I want to use. Famous, famously, that's an adverb, isn't it? Um, uh, you quite famously uh, left LSU, um, dramatically left LSU. I don't know. You tell me <laughs> how you would describe yeah, leaving I, I LSU. Don't think be, I don't think that was, I don't think it was that dramatic. People, not enough people care about you know, who, who uh, I am. People like me care about it, Steve. <laughs> That's all that matters. The only person you're talking to right now is me. And I yeah. live for the drama. So to <laughs> me, it seemed, it seemed a little bit dramatic, but, but sort of like fast forward a little bit. Um, you get to be coaching. You're coaching at a power five conference school. You're an associate uh -huh. head coach. You're like essentially reach that role where you're a head coach in waiting. Right. That's the job you get before you become a head coach, you know, and take that next step. You've been coaching Brooks Curry, um, who's just had this phenomenal, like meteoric, like, again, if you're involved in the sport of swimming and you, you, you weren't sort of entranced by that. I don't know, you know, what's wrong with you. Right. It's just this amazing, amazing, amazing story. And you make the decision. I'm not going to keep going on this path. I'm going to go a different way. So walk me through that. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? It sounds crazy. Well, um, I don't know. It makes sense to me because I've done it. But I think a lot right. of people listening, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I, you know, when you and I started talking, Chris, I mean, this is the first time. It's the first time I've really told this story publicly. Um, you know, so for me, it's it's taken a solid year it's been it's been 13 a little bit over 13 months now since i made that decision 14 months maybe um and to just to kind of qualify you know who the person was making the decision as in myself um i did a lot of work over about a four or five year span on myself and you know what and i'm a huge advocate for mental health someone who went to the lowest of lows at one point of his life, um, you know, to go all the way back to 2012. I had some visa complications through the university. I went back to the UK for two and a half years. I hit chronic depression for the better part of six months while I was back in the UK. My entire world got flipped on its head and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, yeah. But in some way, shape or form, I was able to find um uh, enough of a north star to kind of pull myself back up and, and start rebuilding my life and and then uh, the fall of 2014 I had the opportunity to come back to the us and i'd done my homework in terms of how to do that um effectively <laughs> let's put it that way um and uh, in 2015 i was back and coaching at lsu and, and and um doing some awesome things and you know being able to take uh, athletes to the top of the SEC and all Americans and things like that. And so for me, that was, that was great. But under behind the scenes throughout that time, I was like, listen, you've been depressed and chances are there's still some of that festering under the surface. So don't just assume that, Hey, life's going to be fine now. Like you want to always be prepared for if, and when a time comes and you have to face some tough realities. Um, isn't so that, I, isn't that, that interesting? I mean, I've talked about this on the podcast too, that, you know, like about how the worst thing, that ever happens to you, if you're lucky, <laughs> it turns out to be the best thing that ever happens to you because it forces you to confront things, it's right? You do with you, it. Yeah, yeah. You do with it. Exactly. You, you, so you just like you, unfortunately, you got put in a situation where you couldn't help but confront it, 
right now. And then you second, sorry, I want to highlight that you recognize that like you got out of that situation, you got out of the, the frying pan, as it were. Sure. And you weren't just like, oh, thank goodness, I'm out of the frying pan. No right. more work to do. You're like, no, no, no. Time to start doing work right now because I will be there again. Yep. Right. 100%. Sure is sure is stuff. I almost used up our one swear word of the podcast. Sure is stuff. <laughs> you will find yourself in a similar situation because life's hard, yeah. right? It just exactly. is. It is. Um, it so, is. You, so, so you you use that as a catalyst and you started working yourself. Keep going. I'm, I'm yeah, and, and so anyway, so over the course of my five and a half to six years, um, in my second stint, so to speak, with LSU, um, I'm building a sim career and but I'm also building myself and as I build myself lo and behold I meet the woman of my dreams and I don't mess it up and you know <laughs> I just I get to call in my wife today and we have a wonderful family and in addition to that though it's it's this constant hey there's going to be times where you're going to have bad days who, who are you going to be on those bad days how are you going to deal with the bad days are you going to sink into a version of yourself that you've noticed before you don't necessarily like and that you're not very happy being around or are you going to do the work to prevent that from happening and, and remain in a, in a headspace that can not only serve you, but when you're doing something like some coaching serves so many, like if I'm having yeah. a bad day and I can't handle having a bad day, it doesn't just affect me. It affects tens, tens of people around me. And, and that isn't fair. That's not fair on those people to have to deal with a crappy Steve because Steve can't handle his own stuff, you know? Right. And so for me, that was something I decided to commit a lot of time and effort into um, therapy and, and just a lot of, uh, you know, restructuring my life in a way where health was at the absolute central part of it. And I found joy, happiness in every aspect of my life. And through the last couple of years of my swim coaching career, I found this kid in um, in Georgia called Brooks Curry. And I didn't tell anybody about him. I was just like, no one needs to know that your potential is off the charts. No one needs yeah. to know that except me because I see it and nobody else wanted to see it through the recruiting process. So I was just like, hey, buddy, listen, I'm, I'm all in on you and I think you're all, all in on me. Or, and when I say me, I mean LSU. And um, yeah. let's, let's see if we can make this thing happen. And, you know, uh, he, the moment he got on campus, and I tell this in my, in my book, um, he sat down across from me. He's like, how do I figure this out where I can qualify for the Olympic games. And this is a kid that's just gone 50 point for the first time, long course hundred free. And I was just like, do you know what's required to do that? And he had an answer and I was like, okay, you have an answer. He wasn't a hundred percent right, but he had something. Exactly. He had an answer. Oh and and so many people would say something like that and be like, well, I don't know. And, and you know, but he, <laughs> he, he had an answer. Wow. And then, like you said, Chris, like it wasn't a great answer, but it was an answer, and it was it yeah. was a it was enough of an intent. Where I was like, it's I even can't, better. I think this kid's serious. I think this yeah. kid's serious. You know, and if he's serious, then I'm all in. You know, I'm I'm all in, and and but my job now is just to simply remind him of that answer. Whenever, whenever, whenever we're having the tough days, whenever we're going through the tough times, go back to that conversation and say, "Listen, man, you told me this." And I'm here just to remind you of what you said. That's it. That's all my role is. I'm going to give you the work, but my job as well is to remind you of what you said and what your intentions are. And um, anyway, fast forward and COVID hits and another year is added. And it's just kind of like, well, COVID sucked, but 
we just got another year, you know, so what are we going to do with that year? And lo and behold, it was the year we needed. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was incredible, but to go back to your question, <laughs> um, I knew we were going to get there. I was yeah, so long for the ride the give, whole time. I gotta time, give some Steve. context. I gotta give some context. Um, I love it. To go, to go back to your question, uh, you know, for me, there was a change at LSU There's a new head coach. I don't need to go into the details there. Um, right. But I was in a position where I was being made to feel that I couldn't honor all this work that I'd done with myself. I, mm. I couldn't honor this work anymore. You know, I was being asked to do things I wasn't comfortable with. Um, I was being pushed. I was, a I was a circle peg being pushed into a square hole, if you will. You know, I'd done all this work and I believed there was a way of me treating me. And in addition to that, that version of me being able to interact and engage, influence, motivate athletes as well. I thought there was a right way of doing it. And I wasn't, I didn't, I no longer felt like I could do that. Um, I no longer felt like that was going to be the culture. And, and so for me, after a few weeks of coming home and being like, I don't, I feel myself moving in a direction that I've moved before. And I don't like that direction. Yeah. I know, I know, I know what's going to be at the end of this road. And I don't want to go to the end of that road. I, I would much rather get off this road entirely in terms of the, the, the career of some coaching, start over and be able to commit to what I, call in my work today the optimal self like the optimal version of myself that i that i love that i appreciate um and that i get to be each and every day and you know for me that element of authenticity once that was clearly not wanted um it it, it became a place i didn't want to be and, and and so i know it's weird to stop some coaching at the end of september um but i knew every day that would go by would be another step away from my authentic self and I didn't, I didn't want to risk that. I didn't, I'd done, I'd done way too much work on me to risk the potential pitfalls that I could end up going to if I, if I stayed. The funny thing about swim coaching is also, by the way, and I've talked about this on a different podcast. It's like, there are the, 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 the definition of when a good time to leave your job is, is so much more restrictive than it is in almost any other like job in the world. Almost any other job in the world, like you just give your two weeks notice and you're like, hey, right. this isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to go like do April, something else. April and August, April and August. Yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> but like to, here, you, have to, nobody, you yeah. have to want to leave your job then. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah exactly. Uh, you know, like, yeah, club coaching, it's like in August, but like, but like, don't leave suddenly in August, right. you know, like make sure you give everybody plenty of warning. And like, yes, in, in college, it's this narrow, narrow window in April. And if you leave in May, oh my God, recruiting season's just around the corner. Like, you know, like that, it just, people get tunnel vision mm. on this stuff. Um, I know you don't want to like go into a, a blow by blow. And I, I don't think like uh, maybe, well, there's some people who definitely would love to hear a blow by blow, but we're not gonna, <laughs> we're not gonna humor them. But it just give me a little bit more of a flavor of that. When you say like, <sighs> you were asked to be, you are asked to do stuff that you weren't comfortable with, or you were asked to be a version of yourself that just didn't feel authentic. Like give, give me a little bit more flavor of that. Cause I, I think I have an idea of what you're talking about. I mean, um, certainly I've had moments in my, uh, career that have been like that, but like, tell me a story about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm at so I'm, I'm going to refrain from a story and provide more of say a concept and sure. uh, you know, so for look, me, look, well, I'll, I'll settle for that. Settle for a concept. Um, you know, for me, in, in the world of some coaching, sports coaching, there's a real fine line between motivation and manipulation, really fine line. 
And as coaches, we have to approach that line with so much more caution than we do. And I think it's too easy to get caught up in this win at all cost mindset. Yeah. And assume that, hey, if I tell so-and-so to do this, I'm telling them I, I need them to do this because if they agree to doing it, then I can actually use that as an example for, to get other people to do it. Whether or not that initial person wanted to do it in the first place, I can now use that example as an example to other people to get other people on board. But how did that first person feel about committing to that in the first place? Right. And, and, and for me, it, it, it may seem like a motivational tactic but when you actually pull away, what's at stake is, is like, I'm doing this because I want people to train hard. I'm doing this because I want people to swim faster, for instance. If you just make this about human beings, pull the, pull the athlete part out of it. Human, if you go to a human being and convince them to think the way you think in order to benefit something that you want to see in others, that's manipulation. You, you are manipulating an individual to think the way you think so that you can then utilize that agreement, if you will, to encourage others to think and do the same way. Yeah. You and can essentially change. Mind. You can change the agreement. Yeah. Like you have, there's always, every relationship has an implied agreement right. to it. I, I'm going to be this way and you're going to be this way. And yeah, like if you can maybe if you you have to be really careful about undermining the terms of that I mean, I, I'll tell a story. I coached at um, Georgia Tech for four years and I've told this story in, in a number of contexts. We had a kid on the team who changed majors and we would tell people, you know, like you want to come some here at Georgia Tech. You study whatever you want. We got a lot of hard technical subjects. We're used to dealing with that, you know, like live your life, you know, study, be your authentic self here at this school in terms of what you want to study. This kid changed majors. Well, his new major meant that he had two f afternoons where he had to do design studio. That was one to five. That's not friendly on an athlete's schedule. And I remember my boss at the time said, well, we're just going to kick him off the team because he can't do that. And I said, we've told everybody that if they want to study something, they can study it. And now we're going to just change the agreement because we don't like the decision that somebody made. He said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. What if I come in and coach him at a different time? Can, can he stay in there? You know, he'll still practice and I will basically coach an entire extra practice two days a week. And she was like, fine. That guy went to NCAAs. He was our first NCAA qualifier, individual NCAA qualifier in three years. We might have thrown him off the team. So it, wouldn't have, it wasn't even productive towards the win at all costs mentality. That's the thing I think that gets lost. Like you reference a little bit of, of win at all costs. Win at all costs is always a short-term play. Mm -hmm. I think. It's not even good coaching in the long term. Like in terms of the raw success of what you're doing. And it, but it, it, win at all costs is not about... It's, it's not about prioritizing what's good for the people that are working towards it. It's about mm. prioritizing the result and the result alone. And I like that had a time and place in life, in sport. Um, there's rat races still to this day in the world of, you know, I w I'm starting to get into the space of working with people in the legal sector. 
you know, you talk about a rat race like that. <laughs> it's like the, the most backward system. When you think about it, it's like, okay, you know, finish at the top of your class. And when you finish at the top of your class, go to the firm. And then when you get to the firm, work your way up the firm. And, and, but, but we, we want you to work as a team. It's like, well, how can we possibly work as a team? And all you've done is tell me to work for me, like literally bring the best out. So that that's kind of the, the culture and the space of, of that, for instance, but you know, here we are in, in, in sport and it's like, well, maybe an NC2A championship is the goal. What if it was the goal because it served the people that were part of the team? It made sense to create an opportunity for people to work towards something without saying, hey, listen, this is the goal and we will do whatever it takes. We will do whatever it takes. And, and, and I, know, I know people hear this and they go, well, isn't that sport? I'm like, yeah, but just look at history. I mean, look at the yeah. greatest Olympian of all time. What's he, what's he done since he finished swimming? What's Michael Phelps done? He's talked about the weight of pressure that he put on himself day after day. And the fact of the matter was in his world, which I know was many, many people, not just direct coach, many, 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 many influences. Nobody wanted to talk up and say, listen, Michael, you're asking a lot of yourself. And you're, you're doing a lot of things that isn't maintainable. It's, it's too much for a human being to handle. And now yeah. he's come out and expressed all the truth behind that. And yet that's an example. And then there's more examples. There's so many examples. And yet we still want to believe that one of the greatest ways that we can be successful is when it all costs. And it's like, what are the repercussions after the, after the result, whether you want or not, what's left? Like what, what, yeah. what version of a, what version of a human being is left after that way of approaching and are you comfortable living with yourself <laughs> knowing that potentially as a coach that you influence that? I'm certainly not. And I think it has influenced me at certain junctures to step away, um, and go, just go a different path from the one I was on as I, I hear you a hundred percent. I mean, and I, I, I think. I've often used the analogy that, you know, like high, high end athletics, it is for lack of a better term, it's, it's dangerous for your mind in a way you're right. It's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's by nature, not sustainable. If it was sustainable, then more people would be doing it and they'd be doing it for longer. And they would just sort of decide when to stop. The reality is most people can't like, even in your own athlete history that you described, most people can't just sustain grinding because it's, it's risky. Right. It's risky. You need so much. You end up like you need so much support around mm -hmm. you to sustain it. Um, and often because we're caught up, in the moment of like, yeah, but this next race, I have to swim as fast as we can, or this next season has to be the best season it can possibly. Have. We don't take that time to think about the long-term ramifications of what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And so our, like, maybe if I understand you correctly, you had had enough time to process with the long-term ramifications of you living your life in a certain way were, and you just went, well, I can't, I can't live that life. Right. And, and, and here's the thing, you know, I, 
I have been blessed with, I, I have few natural gifts in life. I will say that, but what I, are would, my, I, what are my, I would disagree with you. One of my Come natural on, gifts, one of my natural gifts in life is that of perspective. I, I am able to see things from just about every single angle. Yeah. And it's, it's something that allows me to be effective in what I'm doing now as a, as an executive coach, but the, I've had 14 months to process my time in the sort of two months I was working at LSU and in, in, within the new coaching staff. And um, I have looked at it repeatedly from other angles. And here I am today, 14 months later, I still deal with it. I yeah. still deal with it because it doesn't just go away. It doesn't, it doesn't just go away. I still have no. dreams. I still have dreams about being, a, I'm still in the world of swimming in my mind when I'm asleep at night at times, like I'll yeah. wake up and I'm like, Dude, you don't even coach swimming anymore. Why are you having swimming dreams? Just cut it out. Don't do that. But that's how much the world of swimming and that part of my life, like it was, it was my life for a long, long time. So when you make a decision like that, while it may seem rash and it's just like, oh, Steve just wiped his hands of swimming and sports. I didn't do that. Like the, 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 the decision was a quick decision on the outside looking in, but in many ways it was five or six years of work to be able to make that decision, if you see what I'm saying, just the, the work that I did on myself actually made the decision pretty easy. And going back to my point of perspective, I've seen one or two things that I could have maybe done better during that time too. There's no doubt. I'm not going to sit here and be yeah. like, the blame is all on one side. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. If that's what you're hearing right now, a guy that's playing the blame game, that's not what I'm doing. This right. is a guy that says, listen, I, I knew, I know who I am and I saw enough around me in a two month stretch that was like, I don't want to be a part of this. And, and, and that's for me, that was enough for me to make a decision. And the most telling thing, man, I was inundated with support. Like I, the, the athletes were supportive. Um, I know a lot of the times when people leave sport and things like that, you go on message boards and all this kind of thing. And, oh, this guy was this, this guy was this. And I'm, you know, right. people, people, people approached me directly and just said, Steve, I can't find a bad thing yet about, you know, yourself and your decision and what you've chosen to do. And, 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 and that said a lot, that said a lot to me it, I'm, and I appreciate it. And I think I, one thing I am very proud of too, is I couldn't have been more professional about the way I stepped away. And even in this conversation with you, like, I know that you joked, there's some people that would love some dirt and some real in the moment stories. Yeah. And it's why I'm talking through concepts and perspectives because I want to be respectful. LSU was so good to me in so many ways. And I have a lifetime of stories and reasons to love what I did during that time and the people and the relationships. Um, but your question was about why I left and, and what was at the heart of that. And I think in terms of me being able to answer to me, that's what it came down to. It was me being able to look in the mirror and just say, I'm going to make a decision for me. And yeah. I feel really good about that decision, even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's, it sounds like it's, you know, exactly what I said to my girlfriend in the eighth grade. It's, it's me, not you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Actually. She said that to me and I was heartbroken. Oh, <laughs> it was a really about, hard time of my life. Still, talking about things that you're still replaying in your mind. <laughs> right. Not that I'm, not that I'm carrying it around with me you know, 25 years later, but, um, no, I, you know, I can actually, the part of the story that I can relate the most to is I have the same dreams. I haven't coached in college swimming for almost 10 years, right? Which it kind of hurts a little bit when I say it out loud, 
um, because it doesn't, I've, I'm not a hundred percent at peace in a certain way with that decision. And I still have these dreams where I'm back coaching at Georgia tech. And I think how have Courtney and I made up to each other and when, when did we hash this out and decide that I was going to do this again? Um, because it it does have a certain appeal. Um, and there's so many amazing parts of the experience and it's, um, it's enchanting in its own, in its own way. Okay. So, but I want to give you a chance to talk about like, what are you doing now? So, so you've had a year you, and, and, and I would say just to fill in the worst criticism I've heard of you was, well, he had his, his plan set up for what he was going to do next when he left. And I think, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Like, are, are you supposed to be ready to take the next, like, is that a criticism? Like, oh yeah. man, he already had another plan for something to do with his life. Uh, great. Good for right. him. Amazing. Right. Like, you know, like I think sometimes we forget that coaching is about leading by example. Isn't that the example you want to set for kids? Like have a plan for what you're going to do next. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, tell, t- tell people about this, you know, about what you're doing now, what, um, what kind of role you found for yourself. And um, then I want to give you a chance to talk about, about your book as well. Because I yeah, can see man, it in the I, background. It's reminding I me. It. I appreciate it. It's just on my shoulder the whole time. Yeah. Um, yeah it's um, just to make a point, though, about what you're saying there about having a plan afterwards. Um, something that I'm doing now, I actually volunteer with this non-for-profit called Athlete Soul, which is uh, a company that exists literally to help athletes with the transition from being an athlete to not being an athlete. And um, so it's an important. amazing, it's amazing group. And, you know, that is one thing I, in the last four or five years of my swim coaching career was that I couldn't embody the swimmer that I was coaching. I couldn't swim as fast as my swimmers. But for me, I was like, what, what can I embody that they can look at and say, hey, you know, I should embody that too. And, yeah. and, and, and so for me, one thing was like, hey, have a life outside of swimming. You know, in 2018, I started my own podcast, Career Competitor. And most college coaches would be like, how do you have time for that? I'm like, well, it was important enough to me to make time for it. You know, so for for me, that was an example that I was able to provide to athletes. Like, I know you think you're busy and I know you don't think you have time for things. But if it means enough and you want to prioritize having something in your life, I challenge you to, to figure out a way to do it. And I'm here to help you with that in any way that I can. You know, so for me, I, I love that part of being able to say, hey, how do you how do you actually embody something that an athlete can maybe look at you as a coach and say, I want to I want that in my life, too. So for me to actually have a plan in place, so to speak, I wouldn't say it was a plan. It was more of an idea that I felt good enough about going back to what I said at the early parts, like it felt like an opportunity I had created for myself through the network I built through my podcast that I could just kind of dive into and be like, you know what, it's time to bet on Steve. It's time to just say, I'm going to make my own LLC, career competitor LLC, and I'm going to figure it out as I go in terms of what this service is really going to be. But I knew I still wanted to coach. I knew I still wanted to coach. And so I learned about life coaching, executive coaching, career coaching, all this kind of stuff. And over the course of the first year of my business, I've allowed clients that I've been able to convince hey, I'm worth investing in um, to really tell me how I can best serve them. And slowly but shortly, 
I've come to define, okay, these are my areas of expertise. It's, it's being able to help someone latch onto what they truly want in life and, and how they're going to go about getting it. It's, it's being able to work with someone who does have some restrictive behaviors and, and, and needs to feel, figure out a way to push those to one side and, and have that breakthrough that they've been looking for for maybe a long time. You're probably hearing this and being like, this sounds kind of familiar, right? To, to the world of swimming. And that's the beauty of it too, is so much. And I love being this example now. So many athletes are like, what do I do after swimming? What do I do after swimming? And it's like, just stop and think about what you're actually doing and the way you're doing it. And you're going to be inundated with ideas and answers in terms of how you can utilize that skill set in another space, in another world. Like, don't tell me that just the, the skill of swimming is all you've been doing your entire career. There's so much that goes into it. And yeah. you'd be crazy to ignore that stuff and not let that stuff guide you to what you could truly be doing upon being done with your swimming career, whenever that may be. You know, so and for me, I, I love I love being that example. Yeah, and I want to echo what you're saying because I think that you have such an important message that like a lot of the people that listen to this are swim coaches. And I, yeah. I want them to hear what you're saying. And if, if they're listening to the things you say you can do and they're going, yeah, I, I can do that. Realize how important your skills are. Like I think most swim coaches are not fully aware, many of them that I run into are not fully aware of how freaking incredible they are. They're incredible oh, yeah. people who can do incredible things for other people. And they're not even fully valuing themselves as a person. They can do something like that. And like, when you say it out loud, the way you say it, I'm like, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm like, yeah, you can. And gosh, what a difference that makes in somebody's life. If I go all the way back to the story with Woody, I saw the right. impact he could have on another person's life. You don't need to be at a swimming pool to do that. Yeah, you don't. No, no. And, and, and that, it was that was the beautiful thing with the podcast, especially over the last sort of 12 to 18 months of my swimming career is I would, I would go home sometimes for lunch and record a podcast. And we, yeah. we discussed something on the podcast I was like, man, I can't wait to discuss this with the athletes it had nothing to do with swimming, nothing whatsoever. The one I'll never forget is I had this I had this interview one time, the lady's name escapes me right now, but she spoke a ton about fear and dealing with fear. And I, and I came back to the pool and I just sat everybody down. And I just said, when was the last time you sat down with your fear? And the, and the whole group was just like, like, what? Like, this is a big question. And yeah. I was like, do you have any idea the control and the empowerment you could feel as an athlete if you were to not only identify your fear, but sit down and get familiar with it? Like that, that is so empowering. That is so powerful as an athlete. And I did that in all of five minutes. I took five minutes of practice to make that message. And right. they swam They swam with that thought. And a couple of athletes hung back at the end and shared a little bit. And some came and met me the, the following day. And they wanted to talk in more detail. You don't think that made them better swimmers? Yeah. You know, it, it made them perform at higher levels. It, it made them embrace elements of what makes them who they are and actually empowered them to be greater and better at what they did. You know, and, 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 and I love that this is a space where coaches are hearing this because I can just say, listen, there is something out there that you could be doing that has nothing to do with swimming that can make you a better swim coach, period. And you just yeah. have to be willing to explore it because it, it will serve you. And more importantly, it will serve the athletes that you coach each and every day. It's powerful stuff. And you're doing stuff like this. And there's so many opportunities out there in this day and age to just put this other feather in your cap and utilize it and, and actually make yourself a better coach because of it. 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I know I have swimmers that are going to listen to this. So like, I mean, and that's such an asset because they're going to come to practice and they're going to want to talk to me about something that we discussed right here. There might, they might listen to your fear story and go, God, that made me think like right. you, you, you just may have implanted that in one more kid Absolutely. just in telling that story. And there's, there's great value in that. Okay. Shock the world, <laughs> the book. Um, this is the story of a skinny greyhound of a human being from Georgia <laughs> right, <laughs> that only right. you knew about for a little bit. One hundred percent, and it's certainly born out of that. Uh, it's the beauty of is the beauty of having the podcast for over almost five years now. I'm closing in on five years. Um, is I had over 140, 150 episodes at the time when I started the writing process to to lean on and pull stories from, as you know, I'm a storyteller. So for me, it was like, okay, how do I tell the story of Brooks Curry and then complement it with stories of people that have shocked their worlds in their respective way, in different ways. And the, the diversity of stories is crazy. So many different backgrounds, so many reasons to not necessarily realize your potential, but find a way to do so um, in, in the people that were uh, I decided to make a part of the book. And that was probably the hardest part of the process was actually condensing it to 17, 18 people and not, you know, having any more. But people get to learn about Brooks's story. I I, I am incredibly um, open and vulnerable throughout the book. I talk about my hardships with depression. I talk about the adversities that I dealt with. Um, I talk about moments, weeks before um, Brooks making the Olympic team when I didn't know whether I would have a job and what I was going to do with that and how I was going to handle that. Um, you know, all these sort of things play a part in the story. And then Brooks actually in the last chapter, uh, there's a couple pages where he gets to actually give his, his side of things. Um, and that was the beauty of this. I'll be honest. Like I'm a absolute softy. Uh, I, I, you know, cry probably a few times a week. Um, and then for Good Brooks for to kind of sit me down for, for Brooks to sit me down, and remind me of a couple of things that transpired that I'd forgotten about was really special to me. Um, you know, that, that was one going back, we can bring this whole conversation full circle. You know, it, it, it shows that he was paying attention so much more than I necessarily realized at times because boy, did I have to command that kid's attention at times. Um, yeah. but you know, joking, but jokes aside, you know, he was so much more engaged in that process than people are willing to give a kid that, for so many reasons, should never have been able to accomplish what he accomplished when you actually look at the information. And he never once doubted that he could do it. And and it's a story of that, man. It's a story of realizing potential. And I think it serves coaches. I think it serves athletes, leaders, competitors, whatever it may be. Uh, and it's an easy read, too. I wrote a book that I knew that I'd be able to handle reading, so I made sure it was an easy read. Well, that's that sounds... Um... Yeah, I mean, that sounds phenomenal. And it sounds like there's actually a very wide audience <laughs> when you really think about who could potentially read that because you don't you don't need to, as far as I can tell, know anything about the sport of swimming to no. understand this story. And I think, um, you know, that is, that is another thing that uh, I think really interests me about it because you know, part of you, 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 you're, you're someone that comes across with a really authentic love for the sport of swimming. And I, I hope that I come across the same way. 
Um, and I think about a lot, like how do we tell people who don't know anything about this thing that we love, why it's so amazing. And right. I'm hearing that, that maybe this book is one way that, you know, we can tell people <laughs> who maybe even have no idea who Brooks Curry is. Um, but, but, but an Olympic gold medal is something that makes sense to them in their mind, you know, like we can tell them this is something, this is what happens in the sport of swimming. This is an amazing story that has happened in the sport of swimming. And, um, and this is why we love it so much. Yeah. Because I, this I'm, is possible. I'm, yeah. And I, and I, I'm very thankful that I can spend an hour with you and it comes across that I care about the sport of swimming because I think it's really easy for someone to look from the outside in and go, oh, this guy just upped and left and never looked back. And it's like, as I said, dramatically, you dramatically right. left. As dramatic, far as I know, as far really as I know, be, Steve, you, really, you want it to be so dramatic. Sorry. <laughs> you, I picture you, you had a clipboard in your hand and you threw it on the ground <laughs> and you just walked off the pool deck and you were never seen again. No, That's how not went. quite, not quite. Um, but the, you know, one of the, one of my favorite things that I've been able to do um, is from time to time, hop back on a pool deck and do a, do a private lesson here and there. Um, it's yeah. something that I, I told myself, like, I wasn't just going to say yes to, you know, little Johnny and his mom, cause he wants to learn the freestyle. Like it was going to be more about, listen, if, if you feel your kid has a gap between where they are and where their potential can be happy to come check them out, happy to give them a look. Um, and I've been thankful to be able to do that a couple of times. It's, it, it's been worth my time. Um, it's been something that reminds me i joke with my wife um when a few months went by and i did that it was like i walked on deck and it was like someone in my brain went to the back of my brain and pulled this massive textbook off the shelf and like brushed off the dust and the moment the moment i started talking as in like hey hop in and just go 100 freestyle it was just like the book opened and everything just came flooding back and it was and that was yeah. great. It, 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 it means so much to me. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to explain enough what it means to me. Um, so for me to be able to even just have a story like Shock the World, where I can attach my passion for the sport of swimming through the story of Brooks Curry forever, um, means a lot to me. And I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to, you know, pony up the, uh, pony up the effort and the energy to, to sit down and, and put a book together. Yeah. All right. So if people want to follow you, they want to listen to your podcast, they go, Ooh, I like this guy. He's got a soothing uh, English accent and I want to, I want to hear more from him. Um, yeah. You know, cause you know how we're suckers for that here. In, yeah. Face, States, face, right? and, face and voice for radio, face and voice for radio. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're very handsome as well. So <laughs> you got both those things going for you. I'm incredibly jealous. Um, so, <laughs> if people want to listen to your podcast, they want to follow what you're doing, where should they go? Yeah, man. Um, Instagram, uh, coach underscore Steve underscore the letter M for Mella, my last name. Uh, and same on Twitter. Um, I don't know whether how many coaches are on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. I like talking about philosophies behind leadership and culture on LinkedIn. Um, in addition to that podcast, you can find it anywhere podcasts are found career competitor and then my website too, careercompetitor.com if you are someone who's just curious about hey what would what would a coach being coached look like i do that um what would culture consulting look like in terms of coming in and just working with a culture and, and focusing on that for a little bit i do that as well 
Um, but I'm always open for connecting. And I think I want to make that abundantly clear. If you listen to this and you're like, I feel like 15, 30 minutes with Steve could be a good use of my time. Just know that those 15, 30 minutes are there for you to use whenever you'd like. So uh, the other way of doing it is steve at careercompetitor.com. You can approach me directly that way too. Amazing. So a lot of avenues uh, to get to you. And, and yeah, I'm not an active LinkedIn person, but it is probably for some of the content you're putting on there, I think probably very appropriate for that. I know that I know people that use that. Um, you know, it's just interesting, the different social media platforms, like what what kind of content have, you gotta have like a different you gotta have a different shirt for each is kind of the way that's I say right. it, you know that's you right know, twitter that's right. twitter twitter you don't even need a shirt um instagram <laughs> instagram it's like yeah t-shirt's good and linkedin it's like oh man i forgot to i forgot to button up my shirt you know yeah, so i forgot, I forgot whole, to put my tie on today it's a whole yeah. mindset man it's a whole mindset. um uh for those of you you know who uh you can interact with steve in the comments of this it's going to be on youtube um, I, I'm just trying so hard, Steve, to get people to comment on my YouTube videos because, you know, it helps the ag- algorithm. So, like, please, if you're listening to this, I'm resorting to the level of just begging. Just like just say hello. comment, just, say hello. just comment, just say, say hello. hello. Comment and write, I'm commenting for the algorithm. Okay, right. just just right. just just help help me out um, so more people can see this type of content. Um, find the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Um, if you want to follow me for positive psychology based content, Christy underscore coach on Instagram, Chris Santos coaching on Facebook, Steve, thank you so much for being willing to come on here. Thank you for being willing to share all these stories. I had a good time and that's really all I care about in the context mm-hmm. of this podcast. It's about, it's a hundred percent about me and what I enjoy. And then if somebody else likes it too, good for them. Um, and, uh, and, and maybe I'm going to make an appearance on yours too, right? So oh, it's not a maybe, man. It's not a maybe. Yeah. You know okay. It's a maybe. We're definitely doing it. So yeah, you guys got to listen to the career competitor. If you want to hear me on the other end of a microphone with Steve asking me questions that make me uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. He doesn't seem the, like that kind of guy. And that was the mistake you made is that you interviewed first. So now all, oh, the, no. control, all the control is in, is, is on my side. So yeah, we'll now see. you know. Now you know the pressure points you can push on. Yeah, definitely need to find some drama in your past too, no doubt. <laughs> oh, I'm a messy, messy, messy person who lives for drama, Steve. So you won't have to try hard to get that. All right, I'm wrapping this one up. Thank you so much. And, Appreciate you, brother. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks, thanks everybody for listening.